What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast here on this midweek of the end to the triple header of this 2021 F1 season. I'm your host, Chris Cato, and today we got a pretty busy show. We are recording just a couple of days removed from the Brazil Grand Prix, and it's a little bit later than we would usually record, but I'm glad that we did so because a lot of news has broken in the last 24 hours that still relates to this Brazilian Grand Prix. So it's going to be a very shorter episode, but a much more compact episode. And to help me break it all down in the action at Interlagos is, of course, one of my fellow co-hosts, Tyler McDonald, who unfortunately wasn't with us during the live streams this weekend, but he's going to give plenty of his insight to us now. Tyler, how you doing tonight? Chris, oh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, I wish I could have joined for the live streams. I, I know they went well, and um, you know it's always fun to be on those live streams, reacting right away to what's going on. I love love doing them. Um, but uh, glad to be on the podcast again and to be able to uh, give a little bit of a breakdown of what happened this weekend. Yeah, there was plenty of breaking during the live streams, and there's even plenty breaking right now <laughs> as we're recording this. So. <laughs> Like I said, it's a little bit later than usual here, especially on a, a triple header week where by the time this podcast comes out mid-Wednesday, we're already going to be just a few days away from FP1 in Qatar, which is actually very exciting. So we're going to speak a little bit about the Qatar Grand Prix at the end of this podcast and just kind of what we're looking ahead to at the debut of the Lozale International Circuit. But the beginning of this podcast and the mid to the podcast is obviously going to be focused on the Brazil GP and mainly round number 19 of Hamilton and Verstappen this season and Tyler before we get into the the incident that was or that wasn't and of course the the recovery drive and the impact of the championship as usual just wanted to get some of your opening and general thoughts on what was a a really crazy weekend not just the fact that it was the last sprint weekend of this season but just all the penalties and controversy give us some of your thoughts just uh, before we start. Um, I'm going to use the word petty, Chris. Uh, I think that's been used this season on the podcast for me as well, but I think everything's getting really petty between these two teams, uh, in McLaren, no, not McLaren, sorry, in Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, they've been going at each other for the minor, most minor things. Uh, I mean, you know, once Lewis is in trouble, then, oh, no, Max touched it. Uh, Max touched our rear wing. Oh my God. It, it changed everything. Right. So, um, I think there are, you know, they realize it's so tight that every little bit is going to matter. And it's still going to be petty um, for, you know, looking back at the Brazilian Grand Prix with uh, race reviews to come and uh, going forward in the last three races of the season. It's a pretty good word to sum up the off-track war between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. And do you kind of find that they're both really the same person in a way where they're both has the same amount of pettiness? I, I find them both extremely annoying this season, both Toto Wolff, especially, and also Christian Horner. But I just kind of find that they're almost the same. Like they both accuse each other of the same things that they've done themselves or that they're going to do in the future. And it's just, yeah, this weekend was a, a great kind of highlight with all the off track drama of just how annoying that off track team politics battle is you know i think that the the drivers have kind of gotten away from that most of this season but the teams oh man i i I would agree i think it's gotten to a a pretty ridiculous point and i have a kind of a a bone to pick with the social media reaction as we get later on into the incident between the two drivers but yeah i think toto and christian are kind of a, a match made in heaven for each other well i mean it does lead for good drama this will be great during the netflix series next year so I mean, we're going to want all the inside analysis on it. And who knows? I mean, we could be getting a little bit of a reality TV drama put in there as well, just to boost the viewers. And I, you know, I don't blame them for doing it. Um, but I agree. I mean, 
I think Christian has been a little more vocal than, than Toto this year, at least from what I've seen um, with Sky Sports and the media, but maybe he's just the first to react or first to react, first to say something, then Toto's reacting. I I have to go back and, and see kind of who said what, when. Um, but yeah, those two have, uh, they're definitely feeding off each other, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I guess they kind of, they're both necessary in this whole championship fight, but we're going to leave the team drama a little bit and we're not going to discuss too much what happened off track, which was obviously the whole Friday disqualification with, you know, Lewis's illegal rear wing in terms of they just failed that technical regulation just by a few millimeters. And then of course, Max Verstappen touching the wing, which that was sort of a, a Hail Mary attempt by Mercedes to try and catch Max. And in a way he did have to pay a pretty big fine. So I guess it worked, but I think the ultimately so, the, <laughs> the intention was to try and get him a track penalty, which didn't work, but no, that definitely didn't work. Sebastian Vettel, um, maybe made my weekend with his comments uh, coming out of, I think it was the um, the sprint race yeah. when he said, uh, he's like, okay, I'm going to go touch uh, the rear wing of the Mercedes now or something like that. It, I just found it so funny how um, how he's playing <laughs> into everything and just knowing, as we used to call him, or still call him, Inspector said, uh, would go over and of course all the video services of him, you know, almost kicking the Mercedes <laughs> and rolling it. Um, which is pretty funny. So, I mean, I can just kind of shows you how tight this championship is and how much of a, even just the littlest advantage, the mental game uh, for Max to have to deal with that, whatever Euro amount of fine that it's pennies for him, but the mental game with them, yeah, I think is what the, the goal was there for Mercedes and uh, it may have worked. Yeah, yeah, it may have. may have also backfired if Red Bull protest other aspects of the Mercedes car following this Qatar Grand Prix or even later into the season. We're going to see. But let's get into the action of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, Brazil Grand Prix. And after all the penalties were sorted out, the illegal rear wing, the engine penalty that Hamilton had to deal with, he, at the end of the day, had one of his best, well, you could probably say his best weekend of 2021 and pulled off a great drive to come back from 20th on the grid on Saturday to finish 5th in the sprint, and then from 10th place on on Sunday, basically within a couple of laps, was already in the podium positions, and then stormed through the field to take victory, which was a very important 101st career victory to cut the points gap down to only 14 points. And, you know, a lot of people are saying it was one of his greatest drives of his career. You know, I, I think that he had much better drives than this one, actually, in particular. I think that a lot of fans, sometimes they have an instant reaction of trying to label everything the greatest ever and the greatest ever. I think it's <laughs> certainly up there as one of his most important career victories, just depending on, you know, where we see everything as a whole. But I think that the big aspect, what I saw, was obviously the big question marks coming from this weekend, which was, where did that Mercedes pace come from? I mean... We've seen some pretty big gaps this season between the two teams, but I don't know if we've seen one as big as this one in Brazil. But that Mercedes engine or the trick suspension or the rear wing, it was just incredibly quick. I mean, very, very fast. And I said this in my video breaking it down. It was crazy that, you know, Hamilton starting from 20th on Saturday and then 10th place on the Sunday eventually won the race with his main title rival starting second. And I'm not taking anything away from his victory, of course, I don't think very many drivers could have done what he did in the hands of Lewis Hamilton. That was possible. But what did you make of the pace from Mercedes and then, of course, Lewis Hamilton's weekend? I, I think the, the word used important is a very good way to put his race. It was maybe his most important victory um, 
of his career. And the way I would put it is I think it's one of his best weekends overall of his career. I, I think maybe not to um, put it right down to the race and uh, the fact that he did so well in spring qualifying. And then of course in the race as well to come up with the victor, I think it was all around one of his best weekends in general in F1. And, you know, it's, it kind of showed it. I know he loves Brazil and he's, uh, you know, very handy around that circuit, but it's been known as a more of a Red Bull track the last couple of seasons. Um, and I'm not sure what they did. Uh, obviously the, the rear, rear wing was illegal a little bit. Uh, so he got disqualified, but, um, they were, they had everything tuned up perfectly for that Mercedes car and Hamilton was on fire, all cylinders on and, uh, really, really impressed this weekend. I kind of caught myself being like, Oh my God, like this is unbelievable what he's doing throughout the race and throughout the spring qualifying as well. I just couldn't believe how fast, how quick and how nimble he was around that track, setting everyone up perfectly. It just seemed like he didn't make many mistakes out there at all this whole weekend. That's a good way to put it. And really after the results of the sprint qualifying, because I thought that, you know, finishing in the top eight, it's going to be tricky for him. Yes, you mm. can overtake at Interlagos, but Mercedes, not the best car following in traffic and the dirty air and things like that. And then when I saw what he did on Saturday, I kind of said to myself after, I'm like, you know, I think he's going to win the race tomorrow because <laughs> there's something with Lewis Hamilton where obviously skills aside, when things like this happens, he also just has this perfect sort of synergy and energy around him where everything just works out perfectly and it goes his way. I kind of got Germany 2018 vibes. If people remember that weekend where he qualified 14th, had a mechanical issue, his title rival Vettel started on pole. It all looked like Ferrari was going to take a big lead in the championship. Vettel's leading the race and then he crashes himself out and Hamilton comes on to win the race. It seemed like one of those types of weekends where even though everything was going against him, he was still going to find a way to finish out in first. And what they did to that car, I'm not exactly sure. I tried to find out, and of course, I think that there's theories going around that Mercedes have kind of reworked the engine, the reliability settings of the engine to basically go as hard as possible for these last four races instead of on the Honda side of things where they've made a reliable engine just to last all the way out throughout the season instead of running it in a higher mode. I also think you have that trick rear suspension that is lowering, basically stalling out that rear diffuser, which lowers the drag as well, so it increases straight line speed. But it seemed like this weekend, too, everything worked for them. It was tire management as well. They weren't really struggling too much in the dirty air, so I think it was a case of just they set up the car absolutely perfectly this weekend, and there was nowhere that really Red Bull was better, with the exception of that middle sector. Yeah, the mechanics did a great job, I think, in getting a perfect setup for this weekend as well. I mean, we talk about Formula One and all the drivers, but I think uh, the teams are, you know, probably had a good hand into bringing Mercedes and, and Lewis this victory uh, for, for this uh, this Brazilian Grand Prix. I thought that, like you said, wonder whatever was the trick suspension or what it was. Um, but it, that car just seemed to be on rails no matter where Lewis put it, even on, you know, 20, 30 feet outside the track, uh, going over the grass. He, he, it still seemed to be on rails the whole time. So, um, just, you know, is this going to play a factor in Qatar? I think it might play a huge factor in Saudi Arabia. Um, I think, you know, this might be if, if Red Bull are looking to contest or try and, you know, get that, that trick suspension, um, looked at, I think Saudi Arabia would be your perfect spot to do it. 
because uh, we, you know, we'll, I think I'm not sure we're going to play in this podcast, but um, if you haven't seen or, or watched the F1 games, Saudi Arabian kind of hot lap, it is insane. I don't know if the brake pads used once. <laughs> we'll be playing it a little later on, yeah, because nice. we, we were messaging back and forth, so I, I'd like to get your thoughts too. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, not just the trick suspension. I think more of the Red Bull protest is going to come to the rear wing, actually, because Red Bull have some suspicion. So what Max was looking at at the rear wing during the inspection period was not actually what disqualified Hamilton on Friday. That was totally separate. That was some sort of a fault. It was a mistake by the mechanics or it was damaged on track, and that just happened to be noticed by the FIA but the reason why I think the FIA was looking at that rear wing area is because Red Bull have some suspicions that that underplane of the rear wing Mercedes are bending it we remember back to the bendy wing controversy of earlier in this season and their suspicion is is that Mercedes have found a way to continue that bendy wing format which also helps to reduce drag when you're running higher downforce setups because Mercedes are running massive rear wings this year and that has cost them a little bit in the straight line. And in the last few races, they've really seemed to figure that out where they can run high downforce rear wings, but also still keep a very competitive straight line package. So it would be very interesting, I think, if Mercedes, after all of the controversy this season, went back to some sort of bendy wing trick. It is important to note that Red Bull don't really have any evidence or facts yet to back it up, but they might protest nonetheless. They got Max's two hands that I mean... <laughs> Those are the two Dutch god hands. Yeah. So uh, maybe whatever he touched will, will turn into gold for for Red Bull. And in that case, might be a uh, illegal bendy wing <laughs> uh, for Mercedes. It's funny you bring it up, though, right? Because maybe Max's inspection that closely of the W12, maybe it did provide Red Bull with something to think about or to at mm-hmm. least look at a little closely. I mean, who better than Verstappen? Maybe. It'd be better if Adrian knew he took a look at it, but <laughs> the next best thing I think would be Verstappen just to see what it's doing versus his car. So, yeah, um, we'll see what's going to happen. Before we move on to the turn four incident, you brought mm-hmm. up how this is going to affect the last three races. Of course, a couple of days time, we're going to Qatar for the first time and then the debut of Saudi Arabia. If they finish the construction, that's a <laughs> that's an asterisk. That They're we still have. close. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's going to be close. It will be. And then, of course, we finished the year with Abu Dhabi, which is also slightly different with some modifications. But a lot of people, a lot of Red Bull fans, especially when I was reading the reaction, were panicking. Like, let's be honest. They were like, oh, my God, the championship is over. Red Bull won't be able to deal with this. I mean, this is done. Hamilton's got the eighth title. And I was like, okay, I understand everybody was surprised by just how dominant they were. They looked like the Mercedes of 2020. But everybody needs to remember, Verstappen is still holding a 14-point championship lead. That is huge with only three races to go. I mean, we did the calculations, and if Max only wins one race and finishes on the podium for the next two races, you know, P2 to Lewis Hamilton, they'd still be tied on points heading into the final race. So the onus is still on Lewis Hamilton right now to get the race victories. Max can still play it a little bit safe in P2, so... If the pace is exactly the same as it was in Brazil for Mercedes, yes, I do believe that it will be difficult for Red Bull, but not impossible because Max, I think, still put up a good fight this weekend in the race. But I don't think that they're going to be as quick as they were here in Interlagos. I think that, remember, Brazil is one of the highest rated tracks on the season in terms of overtaking, and these final three races are rated amongst the lowest. So <laughs> it's it's not going to be that same, I, I don't think. I, I would agree with you. I am... Um... You know, I think that 
there's no need to panic if you're Red Bull. I mean, maybe if you're talking constructors championship, uh, you could, you know, have a little bit of concern there. Um, but in terms of you're a Max Verstappen fan, I mean, it, it's going to come right down to the wire. That's kind of what we thought it what might happen. Um, but we're one crash, one DNF, one mistake away from this championship being all but over. I mean, if Lewis bins it into turn one next week, you know, Max and Max wins the race. He's got a 39 point lead with two races left. The championship's pretty much over in, you know, almost the same way. If, if Max bins it into turn one, um, let's say a Valtteri Bottas wheel uh, <laughs> eclipse him. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton goes on to win that race. Well, then, you know, it's an 11 point gap for Lewis. It's a lot tighter. Um, but at the same time, with two races left, that's a lot to make up. So we're we're just one little mistake away from this whole championship turning on its head once more. 100%. And it might not even be a DNF. It could be a fifth or sixth place. That's a big yeah. enough point swing, right, to make a, a big difference. So hold on to your hats. If you're a Mercedes fan, on the other hand, this is excellent news for you because after Mexico, of course, it was kind of the opposite of what we saw in here in Brazil, right? It was, oh man, like look at the difference between the cars. Mexico, a little bit more of an anomaly because of the extremely high altitudes, but there was high altitude here in Brazil and we thought it was going to favor Red Bull and it didn't. Mm -hmm. So if one thing's taught me about this season, it's that it's so unpredictable that I don't think Red Bull and Mercedes tracks exist anymore because Circuit of the Americas was a Mercedes track and yeah. Red Bull ended up getting qualifying and, and the race as well there. So yeah. we could end up you know going to Lozale and Lozale I think is probably the most competitive track on paper for Red Bull in the next two races. But then again, they won Abu Dhabi last year. Um, Saudi Arabia is a total anomaly because as we'll see in the lap later, it's a crazy <laughs> track that I think it could be spectacular and it could also be a total disaster. So it's impossible to predict for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost like they're trying to outdo each other on the other's favored track. Like uh, the Mercedes have kind of brought a Red Bull setup to those races and, you know, vice versa, where Red Bull has brought a Mercedes setup for the Mercedes races. It, you know, it's kind of one of those just trying to play catch with each other, chasing each other's tail and, and getting the, the one up on each of them. So, I mean, it's going to be... A, a very interesting end to the season, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see how this kind of shapes out over the next few races. I mean, I think Qatar is, is a very important race. There's, it's going to be, it's a very tight track. I don't think there's going to be a lot of overtaking. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to see, I think we're going to see a lot more of what we saw in turn four um, in, in this last race. We're going to see a lot of barging and getting out of the way because that's just going to be the nature of this circuit if you want to make an overtake. And that is a perfect segue to move on to what I hoped I didn't have to talk as much about in this podcast <laughs> and was the turn four incident because had they collided or had there been a penalty, I think it would have been obviously a massive story. But the fact that a penalty wasn't given, I thought, okay, you know what, this is good because it's not going to be such a, a controversy was all over the place, even for and, a non-penalty call. And the problem is, is that call is now going to set a precedent to this Qatar race where you were going to have this barging and banging around because it's such a tight circuit. So it, this could end up being a bigger storyline than it already is, Chris. And not to mention that usually we record a podcast on, on the Monday after a race. Um, if we had done this week, then we wouldn't have two key pieces of information and evidence for this next part of the discussion, which is... Mercedes have just launched a right to review 
in relation to the Verstappen-Hamilton incident at Turn 4 because Max's onboard camera was just released today. Now, the right to review, the FIA is going to look at it and see if they're going to accept it and then go through an appeal process if they find uh, necessary. So there's still a huge fallout to go from there. Now, honestly, I'd be very surprised to see this go all the way to have Max be given a, a, an extra penalty, but maybe we'll get to that at the end because we wanted to show you the onboard footage from Max Verstappen and just the incident as a whole because, Tyler, you haven't seen it yet in terms of the, the Max's onboard footage, and maybe a lot of you out there haven't seen it. So if you're listening just on audio for the podcast, maybe head over to the YouTube videos, and then you can see uh, what we're going to be looking at and then talking over. So we got the incident open up here. Uh, this is from uh, Tim Haraney who reposted it from Formula One. And I'm going to play it through here, Tyler, and you can kind of talk me through it and, and give me your thoughts. And then uh, afterwards, I'm going to go on my uh, little rant here. <laughs> so okay. I'll play like it here. I, like Chris said, this is the first time I've seen this. Um, and I've only seen – I haven't even seen any onboards, to be honest. Um, okay. So that's uh, Matt. Yeah, and, and then here's Lewis. I'm gonna need to, can we play it back quickly? Sorry, I wasn't looking at his hands. Do you want me to go slower, real time? No, real time is fine. So coming down into turn four, that's where he moves to over to the left, and here it is. <laughs> I know exactly what this is. <laughs> I know this reminds me so much of Nico Rosberg um, when he just went straight through the corner and collided with Lewis. Um I don't think it's a penalty, but at the same time, it's very naughty by by Max. He knows what he's doing, opening the steering just a little bit. He does it well enough that it doesn't fully look like it right away. But if you if you go to it, yeah, thanks, Chris, for for fast forwarding through this. He does a good job of sneaking it right here, where he just opens up the steering. See right there, one little one, yeah, that and little... It just doesn't just doesn't turn enough to get the quarter. And um, and then turns to try and actually make the corner, and he's way wide. Yeah, it really reminds me of what Nico Rosberg tried to pull on Lewis, and and what happened there. I believe Rosberg got a penalty, um, if I remember right. I think well, one of them got a front wing lost, and the other had a puncture. So, <laughs> I think yeah, I, I know Rosberg got the short end of the stick. Um, so whatever what whatever the worst result was. Yeah, but it is really interesting, eh, Chris? I mean. I, it was bound to happen. The, this is kind of instant, and I, I don't think Lewis did anything wrong. I think if you're getting blamed to anyone, it has to go to Max. And I know Red Bull are right on the radio saying, let them race, this hard racing, let them race. And they did, to be fair. They did let them race, and we've been asking for a little bit more of that. And now everyone complains that it's <laughs> uh, you know it should be a penalty. So yep. you can't make everyone happy, unfortunately. It, do, I, I don't think it's a penalty. I think it's hard racing. Maybe I would say differently if Lewis didn't end up winning the race. If Max won the race, and um, you know, I would, I would honestly probably think a little bit differently. Um, but the fact Lewis won the race, I, in my opinion, I don't think it's a penalty. I know they're not thinking about that when the incident happens. All, but in my opinion, it's hard racing. I'm glad to see it, and uh, I hope to see a little bit more of it. 
Yep, I'm in agreement with uh, your main points there about it not being a penalty, and and I'll, I'll get to my kind of half of a rant a little bit <laughs> later. I just wanted to pick up on what you were saying about Verstappen's steering angle, and that was the big question, right? Which we didn't get to see the onboard. Maybe it was a, a Red Bull fan in the control room just switched to the rearward facing <laughs> camera live during the race, but people were thinking that he opened his steering. And my reaction when I saw the footage this morning was it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I thought no, that he was. Not going to be have a dramatic opening of the steering and to the right but you do bring up that point here which is that little bit that we see just there when he just slightly opens it there just enough to roll his car forward now i want to give everybody just a disclaimer to say that us sitting here in our comfortable chairs not in a traveling car at 300 kilometers an hour we have no idea what max or lewis were feeling in the car at the moment and i just have to think that in driver 61's breakdown video which i think he did another great job breaking it down he mentions that it's not so much the opening of the steering is kind of actually irrelevant because when you watch Max's technique here going into this corner, he kind of breaks roughly about the same time as Lewis. But notice how here, when he's on the brake pedal, he starts to roll off the pressure from the brakes, which enables his car to go forward a little bit. I mean, this is a common overtaking mm -hmm. technique. If I mean, Tyler, you do eye racing. I do some sim racing as well. It's a common technique. You brake a little bit earlier, but then you slowly or gradually release that brake pressure, and it gives the car a couple of more, couple of more meters of momentum to go into the corner. Um, yeah, f for me, when I look at this incident, I say it is definitely naughty for Max. I think that he did know what he was doing in terms of squeezing Lewis here. Keep in mind this corner as well. It is a very tight and narrow corner. Some people were mentioning that, oh, look at Max's steering. It's not at full lock. But the thing is, is that you don't go full lock for a corner like this. Full lock would be your no. arms crossed over like the hairpin yeah. at Monaco. So that's totally different. But you're completely right when this reminds me of Hamilton and Rosberg. And you mentioned that Austria one. I remember 2015 U.S. Grand Prix. If you remember Hamilton and Rosberg going into turn one, Hamilton right. did what Verstappen just did in here, which is just a little bit you know release that brake pressure just slightly a bit more just to push his rival a little bit out rosberg went off track and they continued on all of these incidents are very different that was on lap one turn one but i think when you look at this it's hard racing and is it a little bit naughty yes you can agree with that and does it violate the exact rule that's written in the rule book of the fia yes it would because it's defined technically as pushing another driver off track but the thing I liked about what the stewards did is that they actually used some discretion here, which is when you obviously watch the footage a little bit later on, maybe on some of the offboards, they both went off a of track. So neither of them really gained an advantage. Neither of them really right. lost much of an advantage. They didn't make contact. And then, of course, we saw a couple of laps later, Lewis just overtook him once again. So I'm so happy that the stewards... Sorry about that. I'm so happy that the stewards did not get involved because I just look at this just watching it numerous times right now, I don't understand how you could give either driver in this case. If Hamilton was the one on the inside here, I don't know why you would give either a five-second penalty. Just too much for me. I, I think maybe last lap of the race, I could see a penalty being given out, Chris, but like you said, the stewards kind of waited to see what, how this would play out, and uh, the fact that I think Lewis overtook him, they just decided that, okay, no, this doesn't need... Um, there's no penalty needed here because in the end, like you said, a good point where they both gained an advantage from leaving the track and going forward. So I think you broke it down really well there, Chris. 
Yeah, and this was going to be part of, of my rant because when I didn't see that the penalty was given, I said, okay, thank thank God, you know, we don't have to talk about this too much. But I was honestly so surprised just reading so much of the outrageous comments online. <laughs> and I'm like, are you guys fans of racing or like, what is this, tennis fans or, or ballet fans? I mean, this is Formula One racing. And if you think that something like this is worthy of a five-second penalty, I mean... I don't want to watch Formula One anymore if stuff like this is what deems penalizable, penalizable offenses. I mean, we, we, Tyler, we grew up in the era of Schumacher and Montoya and Alonso, those early 2000s, man. That was racing. That was guys pushing each other off track even more dramatically. Go back even further. The Gilles Villeneuve days. I mean, the, the Nigel Mansell days. I mean, that's what Formula One is. These guys going wheel to wheel, sometimes pushing each other off track pushing it to the limit, going over the limit. But this isn't dirty driving. I think the penalties have to be reserved for dirty driving that results in crashes, that results in things that are just outright dangerous in that regard. This is just racing. And I think a lot of these comments are coming from fans who, it's great that they just recently joined the sport from Drive to Survive and everything, but they still live in that fake drama world of Netflix. I mean, this is a racing series, and we want to see these guys race. And these results should not be determined by the stewards. So I know that people are upset that the inconsistency of the stewards' decision versus what we've seen in previous races this year. But I actually think that this discretionary view from the stewards this weekend is the right way to go. Let these guys race. They have enough respect each other for each other that they're not going to be dirty. They're just going to go pushing to the limit. And it's what we want to see. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you summed up everything really well there, Chris. Um, you know, if you go back and yeah, I encourage people to watch the, the Schumacher days when he would be fighting for a world championship, and he just wouldn't turn for the corner; he'd just go straight. <laughs> exactly. Um, so at least Max turned for the corner, but uh, you know, that's just the tactics that it was back in the day. And um, Max is an old school racer, and we all know that he races like it's you know in the '90s and in early 2000s, and that's what we love about max is because he races so hard like that and you know there's a few other young guys in the sport that that race like that as well um that i'm excited to see hopefully there's more battles in the future like i love max and Charles going at it i wish they were fighting uh more often for a position because yeah. i think those two uh always put up a fantastic battle and and then I, that's you know a good thing you know to have those two aggressive like that i i think that's one of the biggest positives this sport can have is two aggressive drivers like that. Um, but I think that's, it's going to be something that will continue to be a storyline for uh, obviously this season. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we'll continue into Qatar with it being such a tight circuit. Um, you know, there's lots of runoff in Qatar, Saudi Arabia, there's no runoff. So I think <laughs> we're going to have, um, many different kind of ways that these races are going to race each other over the next uh, few races. And it's unfortunate because with the social media age and everything, everything is so damn toxic where the things that we just talked about now, people are going to say, oh, like you're, you're Max fans or this fans or that fans or clearly you're this or you're that. And it's like you can't just analyze anything anymore without just being constantly attacked. And whatever, I don't really care at the end of the day because most of this is just idiotic comments. But just going back to those days, and so I even reposted uh, Masa and Kubica from Japan 
which was mm. 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, they would have get a race ban nowadays by the standards of the <laughs> stewards and the fans. And so we can't sit here complaining about, oh, we don't really see racing anymore and overtakes. And then like you said, Tyler, when an overtake finally happens or a chance at an overtake, everybody's like, oh my God, penalize it. Oh my God, Max is going to kill somebody with the way that he drives. It's like, man, I mean, you really don't know Formula One that well. Like you said, as much as I love Michael Schumacher and he was my, my favorite driver growing up, I mean, that guy intentionally would crash into people and by himself sometimes as well, uh, just to gain an advantage. Verstappen and Hamilton aren't those drivers. They're just not. You know, Max is a driver who, and I just saved this because I saw it in a comment that uh, Martin Brundle was talking about Senna one time, and he said that Senna would uh, leave it up to you to decide if you were going to have a crash. And I think that that's kind of the, the Verstappen sort of style as well. But Again, I agree with you. It's what makes him so special. And what makes Lewis Hamilton so special is the fact that he's able to avoid things like that and also strategically get these overtakes done on drivers like Max who are very difficult to overtake. Lewis is one of the most calculated drivers, I think, in F1 history. Um, I think that he puts himself in the right spot at the right time 95% of the time. Um and that's going to be one of the main points that makes him one of the greatest of all time as well as just his IQ and awareness on the racetrack at all times, putting his car in, in not very dangerous positions. And when he does, he's positioned it right to be able to react. And um, if, you know, I'm sure he expected Max to not really turn as much for that quarter. And he chose to go on the outside where there's a lot of runoff. So he could actually you know, keep going, it, you know, it's all these little movements that you don't really notice, but for Lewis, it's all the tactic of keeping the car safe and running on track to score, you know, even if he doesn't score first, at least he's scoring points. And that's kind of been the mainstay of Lewis Hamilton is that he's always scoring points for the most part. Yeah. Obviously in a lot of race wins, hundred one, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm trying to get yeah, at of course. as well. Not, I don't know how many DNFs he's had in the last four or five seasons but you know it's got to be less than five no it definitely is he keeps himself very clean and just to add on to that i think that's one of his most underrated aspects of driver intelligence i mean if if max verstappen is the senna of the modern age i think lewis hamilton is more the alain prost of the modern age you know living up to the nickname of the professor i think that's how hamilton drives because driver 61 pointed this out at the beginning of his analysis which was on the same lap going into turn one Lewis gets in that slipstream and he just moves over a little bit to the left and he makes Max think that he's going to send it down on the inside and you see that Max sees it in his mirror and he moves a little bit over into the left but that was a dummy move by Hamilton because what it did is it made Verstappen go a little bit deeper into the corner and he didn't have an optimal line exiting turn two so by selling him the dummy Hamilton was able to get a much better exit out of turn two and then of course get closer for the overtake and it's just a very small thing like that that we're not drivers so we're not going to pick up on but him consciously driving at 300 kilometers an hour is able to tactically pull something like that off and it almost you know eventually helped him overtake which he did a few laps later anyways but so it's little things like that that makes two of these drivers very very special and I think that we have to appreciate that to say that's Hamilton style and Max Verstappen's style is always going to be driving to the limit. And you could argue turn four was maybe over the limit, but I think that this is what happens when two excellent drivers are battling in a very intense championship. This is what's Formula One, and if penalties are what's going to decide championships and races, then I don't know if I can be a fan anymore. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, we can't have this decided in 
you know, the press box, it has to be, or the stewards room, it has to be decided in or on the track. And, um, I, I hope we see more of that, you know, in the future and like it was back in the day. And I think it's going to be important for the, uh, the, the drivers to, make that known as well uh to the stewards that they you know this is how we want to race and i wish we got to see more of those uh, driver meetings that we saw back <laughs> what was it in 2017 or 2018 yeah. um those are great just to kind of see the inside perspective um but i mean who knows what's going to happen next it, it's so up and down with the calls that yeah it could go either way really yeah it's a real shame because i, I don't care who you support you know, on this channel, we, we try and be as unbiased as possible. Of course, I, I do would like to see Max Verstappen win this championship just because I'd love to see somebody new win their first world championship. I mean, Lewis has been dominating for so long that it'd be nice to see some fresh blood in the mix. But I just really want to enjoy two phenomenal drivers at their peak because I wasn't, you know, we were very young when uh, those excellent battles of Hakkinen and Schumacher were, were going on. So I want to enjoy it now in the present day so yeah that, that's a summary on that of course comment down below on youtube what you think of the turn four incident should it have been a penalty and what do you think about sort of this direction between verstappen and hamilton and how much the stewards should get involved just a final comment because you were just talking about how you know the team's getting involved in everything it was funny because after hamilton's disqualification on friday mercedes tweeted out that uh, the team won't be appealing his disqualification because they want to win these world championships on the track and then here they come <laughs> on on christian horner's birthday no less just to add to your petty comments oh, they submit God. the right to review so <laughs> yeah Moving on. Yes, sorry, Chris, sorry, Chris. Canada is playing Mexico right now in the World Cup qualifiers, and it is butt cringe moment right now. It's two one Canada in the last minute, ninety fifth minute, and Mexico just almost scored again. They had one on the goal line, so like I, I, I'm, it's it's very close. This means a lot for Canadian football because we're not good, but we haven't been good. <laughs> we're really good now. This would put us top of the table and making us in great spot to qualify for the World Cup. Um, and of course it's against mexico which is huge and now it's corner for canada and i'm gonna bring my focus back to the podcast but hey <laughs> how much extra I, time I left? uh there's it's in the last minute of extra time wow that's a lot of added time 95th minute. Yeah, i know 95th minute five minutes of added time it's if for those of you who don't know what's going on if you watch highlights because it's um there's you know 15 centimeters of snow it's minus 10 <laughs> degrees celsius right now and um yeah it, it's it's all popping off it's a wild wild uh, game yeah i just quickly wrote it down because uh you know a good kind of uh, comparison of what should be a penalty versus what shouldn't and what yeah. should be a penalty was something like sonoda and stroll right <laughs> i think we can agree on that one <laughs> yeah that was uh 100 a penalty in hanford stroll's race uh, i mean he had a dnf at the end of it right and that's one of those things where that, that was a reckless move um that ended hurting both drivers in the end so uh, that's a penalty uh, for sure i don't think there's any ands ifs or buts about it yeah absolutely i would agree and the other one i was just saying it was in the same turn as well on the opening lap of the race we saw kimmy mm -hmm. and mick speaking with each other before they got out to the racetrack and then the both of them unfortunately come together it was mick's fault because he kind of had an oversteer moment which made him crash into kimmy and then he kind of lost his front wing but at least they got to race each other before kimmy retires i guess <laughs> uh, 
sorry, Canada wins. There you go. Final whistle goes. Final Canada whistle. wins. That's a huge victory. They go top of the table. So that is unbelievable. A huge result for uh, for Canada. And now, oh boy, now the benches are fo- oh, okay. And then there's going to be a little bit of a scrum popping off here. <laughs> Tempers are boiling over. It's not just an F1. It's in CONCACAF too. Mexico <laughs> and Canada. Um, but anyway, so that, you know, it, it was great to see um, you know, Kimby and Mick kind of try to battle it out to, and talk. And obviously, uh, you know, they, they, like you said, they were talking before the race. Um, but for Mick, <laughs> um, kind of just put his car in the wrong spot and, and, and took Kimmy out there as well. So um, did, did Mick get a penalty for that? I don't believe he did, no. I don't think he did either, which is interesting because if you look at the Sonoda incident, it's eerily similar. Good point. Um, but lap one. Uh, there was always some room on lap one. Same with, I guess, Lando's puncture, right? I mean, yeah. um, that's just that was 100% a racing incident. I didn't see any sort of uh, malice there at all. Um, but yeah, at the same time, uh, you know, it did hamper Lando's race, who I think we should give a quick shout out to before we get back into things. It's just how well he raced after that puncture, going back and fighting his way back to P10 and getting into the points. Yeah, no doubt. It was a good recovery drive. Unfortunately, they lost out pretty big to Ferrari with Ricardo's retirement. And then, of course, mm. his opening lap puncture. So they lost ground there, but good recovery nonetheless. And it's a track you can overtake on. So um, it, it made it that a little bit easier. But do you have anything else from uh, the Brazil Grand Prix you wanted to speak about before we talk about uh, a particular high-speed Middle Eastern track? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to give a shout-out to the Brazilian fans who were phenomenal during that, that whole race weekend. They were uh, they were awesome. Um, you know, see the packed grandstands and uh, to have, uh, you know, they were they were loud, cheering for Lewis overtakes, cheering for Max overtakes, uh, coming right back. Uh, they really added some great atmosphere to uh, the whole race weekend. So I just want to give a quick shout out to those Brazilian fans. Yeah, we have really excellent shout out to them because they were great. Even the Senna chance after all these years, all great to yeah. hear. And yeah, supporting every driver, you know, not just uh, wasn't bipartisan crowd or anything. It was just everybody was great to uh, was happy to see Formula One back. So yeah, always love going to Sao Paulo. But that unfortunately will do it for Sao Paulo for this mm-hmm. season. Um, we're going to wrap up this podcast by speaking about the Middle Eastern swing. We already kind of touched on Qatar, Qatar quite a bit, but let's speak about the Jeddah International Circuit <laughs> in Saudi Arabia because it just got released a few days ago, the Formula One update, which now you're able to drive it in F1 2021. And I was able to do a couple of hot laps last night, just sort of learning the track, really. I mean, there's 27 turns, so there's quite a lot to go through. Um, yeah. Let's go through the lap, and I'm going to just play it. Tyler, uh, I posted it to our Twitter account, at TBMF1 Show. So if you guys are interested in checking out the full video afterwards, I just put the turn numbers up as well just because I think it's a little bit easier for everybody to know. But I'm going to play it through, and you can kind of just discuss me your thoughts when you saw an onboard lap of the circuit. I mean, it is a pretty wild racetrack. It is. It looks like a driver's racetrack, Chris. It looks. If I was an F1 driver, I'd want to race around here. It looks challenging and fast-paced, but like you know, the Monaco tightness to it, it reminds me of a very fast Singapore almost, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Singapore is so tight and it just, the looks kind of seem more uh, Singapore to me, but I mean, look how fast these sectors are. Yeah. I know. I think they call that two turns and that's another two turns, which I'm not sure about. Uh, Cause it also kind of <laughs> seems like one turn to me. There's a lot but I'm I not mean, sure about here. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, that's true. This is my I mean, favorite one heavy, Yeah. This is going to be an awesome corner. I think there'll be some good pictures around there. Mm. 
Um, that's like the Monaco uh, hairpin, I guess, for Saudi Arabia. Um, but like this section here is just so fast and flowing. I touched the there, wall there. Did, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I won't say anything. Like, it's just, um, you, know, you don't touch the brakes at all almost. In these Like, I can't believe that's a turn. That's like, none of these are, that's a turn now, but it's, it's so flowing. It's insane. Yeah. And then this is the final. I don't know if there's any room to overtake. <sighs> to, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm going to do a race probably at some point this week. And I think I'll probably throw that up on social media as well. Just because I'm mm. actually curious, like, you know, just from driving in the video game, like, where would you try and overtake? Really, just looking at that lap, we can go through certain sections. But, like, even if you go look down here into turn one, I mean, it's kind of a clunky little hairpin. There's not really much room to overtake here either. It reminds me a little bit of the final corner of at Abu Dhabi, where it's just kind of like that clunky one-two, and you can't really like I, it entices crashes that front first corner. Oh yeah, it's almost like it's a reverse Monza almost, but faster speed. It, it reminds me. This actually just a little bit reminds me if if anybody played the Hanoi circuit in Vietnam on last oh. year's video game, turn the turn one complex is a little clunky like this. And there's a lot of these. Maybe that's where they got inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but I don't know. It almost seems like a child designed this circuit, honestly. But... Yeah, it is so flowing, right? I mean, that's a tight corner where you can't overtake. And then mm -hmm. almost like from turn six to turn 20, it's all fast paced, high flowing turns. Yeah, like here going into turn nine, it's like literally just, it's either a lift or just a slight dab of brakes to just get the car pointed mm -hmm. in. But there's no brakes here. So this corner, my favorite turn was uh, 13 here. Cause yeah, what 13. I, yeah, what I found is what, if you just brake a little bit earlier, you can get on the throttle super early. And when you're driving it, this is kind of a slightly banked corner. So it's a little bit like Zamvort turn three, mm -hmm. but just not anywhere near the same sort of banking. And you can get on the power super early and just punch it out. So this feels really cool to drive. The rest of the corners are okay. I mean, really, this circuit for me, it's all about hitting your apexes because, like, just two meters slightly off, and you just screws you up for the rest of the lap. I'm worried we're going to see a lot of big wrecks here. If someone hits the wall going through one of these complexes, just especially get something here. wrong, especially here. I mean, you can see some pretty nasty impacts. So um, it's going to be a interesting practice like i i'd be watching practice one practice two i will probably be watching practice one practice two practice yeah. three uh just to get an eye on where kind of the difficult spots are going to be and what we haven't talked about is this is even finished being paved yet <laughs> um so what we saw in portamount last year with how cold and not worked in the asphalt was there are we going to have the same thing here where we're just going to have not worked in asphalt and the, the, the drivers aren't going to have any grip out there, which I would not want to have an a, a understeer moment at, at this track. No, not at all. And who knows, maybe even, you know, sector one and two will be paved and sector three will just be dirt. We'll just do it that right, way. Let's make it a rally then. <laughs> Kimi Reikin will win their whole race. Yeah. It's a good point you bring up actually on the understeer too, right? Because it's the setup is going to be interesting because you're going to need to set it up to where you have good straight line speed. The DRS zones are very, very long. But also you need to have a setup where your car is 
good on the front end. It's really a front limited circuit because you could run the brake bias all the way to the rear because you barely touch the brakes anyway. But the mm-hmm. front tires are going to take an absolute beating around this track. But I I really want to touch on that fact that you were talking about just earlier, which is I'm I'm slightly worried about this track that it's going to be a little dangerous because it's it's basically like the last couple of corners in Baku where Lance Stroll had his tire failure. But that's yeah. what the entire circuit is. It's just yeah. one corner like that after another. And I'm just slightly concerned that, God forbid, we have a tire failure, a mechanical issue, or just a driver mistake. I mean, it's just such a fast-paced circuit, and it's so narrow. I find it's even more narrow than the likes of Baku. And so, so I'm concerned about that. And then even if we do have a crash, I mean, the recovery is going to take forever. The recovery is going to take forever. I think we're going to see uh, a more higher prominence of a red flag option. Um and if there's an accident like that, I hope they red flag it right away. Um, just because we're going to have drivers, you know, flying through. I mean, if this happens, like we saw, um, was it, uh, what was that crazy wreck? Was it Belgium? Uh, when everyone piled into each other, where was that? Oh yeah. Was it, um, you're talking about the one last season? Yeah. We're just everyone piled Mugello, into each other. Yeah. Mugello. That's what it was. Thank you. I don't know why I could remember where that, what circuit that was, but if we have that, but think of that happening at 180, 90, 200 miles an hour. I mean, we're going to see some cars get launched up in the air. And, and if everyone, anyone's watched an IndyCar race, when those cars get airborne, it's it's scary. And IndyCar, uh, sorry, pardon me, F1, it'd be very similar where this could get you know very scary very quick. Um, so I hope that they have uh, put in the right you know protective walls. Um, I know I think there's some of the NASCAR style um, safer barriers that are going to be installed. And then there's, you know, some of your, um, I don't know what you call it, the the foam ones that destroy ever and take forever to, to replace. So, yeah, Tech Pro. Um, tech Pro, thank you. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a very messy weekend. Um, and let's just hope that nothing kind of serious happens during it. I'm going to wait and see as well. I don't want to talk too negatively about it before it actually mm-hmm. happens. I think it, it looks like, a, sorry, Chris, I just say it looks like a fantastic track to, to race around on a hot lap. I think qualifying to me, unbelievable. Um, I, I just don't know how it's going to be as a racetrack. I would agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Racing, I don't think is going to be too great. I think it's a mistake to bring this circuit in, especially this season. With a championship like this, this is a massive unknown. For Christ's sakes, the track the, isn't even built yet. <laughs> with the tires, like you said, we've, we've seen tires have their failures already this season. And Pirelli's voiced their concern. Uh, are they going to bring the hardest set of tires? I, I could see it just to be on the safe side. They're probably going to have to. Is that known? Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure. I know the teams know, but I don't think you know if that's public knowledge yet. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I, they put out a list maybe a while ago, but I'm not even sure if Saudi Arabia, because it, it wasn't even on the calendar at that time, I don't think. That's true. So there's another big factor too, right? Just not show, not knowing what type of track surface it's going to be, you know, with compounds, how they're going to react. So big, big Can't have any mark. Pirelli test days because there's no track <laughs> test no on. Track. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I, my final thought on it is it's either going to be an absolute spectacle or a total disaster. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think it's gonna be one or the other. You're 100 percent right. Well, it seems like there's asphalt down. There's lights up. There's a lot of lights up. That's a lot of power that they're using. Holy, 
There's more light. Oh my God. It's crazy how much light there is. There's a lamppost every like six feet. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. You could basically be racing in the day. It looks like it's a, like if you're on the track, it could be 100% be daytime. Yeah. Yeah. Well, money's not an issue there. So they can afford no, it. No, you're right. It's not an issue. Um, and the paddock isn't built yet. <laughs> so that's oh. not good. I'm telling you, it's still a big question mark. It is. They got to be going 24 seven. But but, hey, you know what? Why not? Let's have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should leave it there before, uh, yeah, say something we'll we'll regret. But yeah, Yeah. I I, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, it's one thing to go to Qatar for the first time, but like Lozale is a purpose-built circuit. It's been there for decades. It's used regularly by MotoGP, other racing series. It's a nice circuit. It, it like, really like is. If you're just, it actually is a really nice circuit. The only downside is that it's just a tight circuit because it's mostly used for, for MotoGP, but it's a well-designed, beautiful circuit. No, it is, and, and I'm very excited for it because it, it mm. should be another great qualifying lap type of circuit. The racing, well, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit of an unknown, but it'll mm-hmm. be close, I think, between the two this weekend for for Red Bull and Mercedes. Just to wrap up here, you have certain aspects I think that are going to suit both cars for sure. Um, and it's not just a straight line. Mercedes do enjoy the high speed corners this season as well, yeah. and Lozale has plenty of those too. So I, I don't know. You know, it's it's all up up for grabs this weekend, and we're back to a regular type of weekend. So there'll be more free practice time, more time for these cars and teams to you know really fine tune the setup but like you said it's going to be interesting watching these practice sessions just to see the drivers learn the circuit Sergio Perez is the only one that's raced here before uh, winning back in GP2 I don't think it's going to really be much of an advantage for him but at least it's a familiar kind of venue for him so maybe he could use it to his advantage but it's an excellent chapter a great way to wrap up this triple header and it is the third last race of the season so definitely you want to be watching this one any uh, final thoughts then on uh, your end? No, I think this season is going to end with some something wild is going to happen. I think there's going to be some sort of ridiculous thing that, that will happen. I don't think it's going to be a nice, easy end to the season. I think there's just going to be an absolute mess uh, in terms of people blaming someone for doing something and then a mistake being made. and it, Something's going to turn on its head and it's going to be absolute chaos. I'm just curious to see what that chaos is going to be and I'm excited to see uh, what's going to happen these last three races. Yeah, I hope you're wrong, but I have a feeling that that's what's exactly going to happen. Some sort of off-track protest or penalties or something, which I hope isn't going to happen. Track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even, Even on something track. crazy on track. Well, we want to see like, it racing, you know, come down to the racing. But you're right. I mean, anything can happen with, with these two guys going at it. Well, it, it's getting back to the Saudi Arabian track, how is how are you going to do blue, fa- blue flags there? I have no idea how you do blue flags at that track. So that's going to be a whole other thing that is going to have to be worked out as well. So it's going to be even Lozai. Lozai is going to be hard to do blue flags mm-hmm. at as well. Yep. So it's going to be a fun last two races to the season. And we could talk about that Saudi track for a good hour just to see. We, we could have it. You know, we should do a, we should do a. a, a preview podcast for that track i think we will honestly 
Do you have a track guide ready for that track? <laughs> no, because there isn't a track ready. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it is funny because I was thinking about that. I did one for Lozale. Um, I had to actually buy the MotoGP video game because oh, I don't have nice. like iRacing or any of that. So like none of the, the games that I had had the track. So I'm like, shit, I got to pay 40 bucks just for <laughs> one circuit. But then I was like, oh, you know, I should do one for Jetta. But I'm like, where am I going to get the lap from? You know, because I can't. Now you have lap at least. Yeah, now I have lap, so maybe I'll, I'll have to think about it. But um, yeah, so a podcast like that would actually just be interesting. Um, so maybe in a few weeks' time, maybe the track will actually be done, and then we can do it. <laughs> but yeah, we can talk about it. It's, it's so wild. It, it's it's just crazy. It's gonna go down as uh, one of those moments in in this championship. One yeah. for the DVD, that's for sure. But um, yes, yeah. I love F one. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I mean, we are recording this uh, pretty late at night uh, here on Tuesday evening, and I think we've gone a little bit longer than we expected. But yeah, like you said, when uh, when you enjoy the sport so much, there's just so much to talk about, and uh, it's always good to to chat with you about it. And of course, the fans of this show as well. Hopefully, you guys are going to be keeping it uh, respectful in the comments at least, and uh, you know, no <laughs> no problems in disagreement with any of the views or opinions expressed uh, on this show. But that's the only thing is just you know keep it respectful, keep an open mind. And just at the end of the day, enjoy the sport for, for what it is. And, you know, we really don't care for any of the other dramatic stuff. It is making it more interesting. But at the end of the day, we are here for the racing. So it's going to be a great end to this season. We are down at the last triple header of this season. And then only two more races to go after Qatar. So we thank you very, very much for joining us on this podcast and all the other ones so far this season and many more great ones to come. So for Tyler McDonald, I've been Chris Cato. Thanks again, guys. Have a great day and bye for now.